1: Podcast episodes and other content produced by Chat with Traders are for informational or educational purposes only and do not constitute trading or investment recommendations or advice.
0: Markets, speculation, and risk. This is the Chat with Traders podcast.
1: You're listening to episode 246. I'm Tessa, co-host on Chat with Traders. Today, Ian interviews Uri Klarman. After seeing the great potential and opportunities available in decentralized finance, also known as DeFi, and the cryptocurrency universe, Uri left academia with a PhD in computer networks and later specialized in blockchain research. He started a company that would help crypto traders avoid the front-running flash traders which had plagued Wall Street for years. Uri shares his contagious excitement and passion combined with his in-depth knowledge about the history, technology, and benefits of DeFi and cryptocurrencies, which many believe that traditional markets cannot match. Please note, at the end of this interview, Ian has a brief addendum related to the topic of crypto and DeFi that you will want to stick around to listen, especially if you're focused in this space. As a reminder, None of what you hear on Chat with Traders is ever financial advice. You are responsible for your own trading and financial decisions. Trading and investing have potential for big losses. Please welcome Uri Klarman.
0: Welcome to Chat with Traders. Great to have you on the show. Thanks, Ian. I'm excited. Yeah, if you uh, could share with us a little bit about your background and what was the early appeal of crypto to you? Sure.
2: So I'm Ori, CEO and co founder of BlocksRoute. We call BlocksRoute because we route blocks. We'll talk about it. Um, I was actually, I'm originally from Israel and I was a software engineer. And then working in the high tech industry for a bit um, or for a few years, I decided working nine to five at the tech company is super not for me and decided to move to academia. And so I quit, I joined the PhD program here at Northwestern University here in Chicago, and with my then advisor and now co-founder Professor Kuzmanovic. and I was studying computer networks. So I you know my background is computer science, more specifically computer networks. And even more specifically is the blockchain network layer. So really from my research, I kind of like went down that. Rabbit hole. You know, I've heard of Bitcoin since like, you know, 2013 or something, but really didn't really pay much attention um, until 2016, I think, when my research kind of like started to lead me that way. Kind of like by ra- random accident spin-off of an idea. But once you go down the rabbit hole of crypto and later on DeFi. You can't really go back. Everything else in the universe is boring and, and it's kind of like an uncomparable to the amount of stuff happening and excited and drama and everything. So this has got, kind of, it's been like an addiction for me ever, ever since.
0: When you first got attracted to Bitcoin, did you think that there was something missing from our current centralized financial system uh, or was this just uh, like an experiment for you to get into, uh, into crypto?
2: There a lot of happened in crypto in the past few years. Um, but when I got into crypto, I was kind of like, Oh, everybody are talking about crypto. What is crypto? Basically, starting from there, then went down the you know, uh, gold bug rabbit hole. Oh, centralized finance is kind of like isn't backed by anything and like inflation and whatnot, which <laughs> kind of like I think, and Bitcoin is a hedge of that, etc. And then Around 2017, it started earlier, but in 2017, there was a major split in the Bitcoin community, splitting actually the, blo- the Bitcoin blockchain into two: Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash. Basically, the Bitcoin people w- were in the camp of saying this need, doesn't need to do anything. Like you're not supposed to transact it. It's not to be. It's not to be used as money. It's not to it's not better money, right? It's kind of like the, the, the pitch back in the day was kind of like, instead of, you know, paying two, 3% for every credit card swipe, which you really shouldn't, right? It's kind of like, it's literally sending bits around the world. And we're really good at sending bits around the world at this point. Like, why is anybody paying like these amounts? It's just like really incumbent and network effect and whatnot. So there was the people who said, you don't need any of it. Bitcoin is not for that. Bitcoin is gold. It's like to back other assets. That's the idea. And there was another camp who said, no, no, it needs to be functional, okay, which is like you need to support, you need fees to be lower, you need all these kind of stuff. And Bitcoin, like there was a major split and I was very much on the camp of saying Bitcoin needs to actually do something. The Bitcoin cash chain still exists, but it's very small and minor and like, not on anybody's mind, but what happened afterwards was um, a bit Bitcoin kind of like provides the functionality or aims to provide the functionality of kind of you know, being gold, basically to back up, to back other assets, et cetera. And any cool functionality that all crazy DeFi crypto people came up with were kind of, like, oh, what if we do cool stuff with it? And, and we're going to talk about maybe why DeFi is so exciting and why am I so attracted to it in a second. Um, but basically, say, take all the functionality and different chain, Ethereum. Okay, the, It's the second largest in terms of market cap. It is the largest in terms of like how much usage is in it, what it's being used for, etc. Basically, kind of like, I think, captured that gap. So functionality doesn't happen on base, Basically, people take Bitcoin and kind of like wrap it and move it into Ethereum and then used there for all sorts of like cool and, and interesting and, and innovative like usages, etc. So that was kind of like my path, kind of like what was I attracted? Originally, I wasn't, it wasn't me coming to say, coming and say, oh, we should fix the financial system. Mm-hmm. I'm a nerdy kind of like, like computer science. Yeah, I have less knowledge than probably most like of our of, of our listeners right now about macro and whatever, etc. I'm the I'm the technical guy who's kind of like, oh, I can help the others. Here's here's what you could be doing. Here's this is important. That, here's how you do that. So I'm, I'm much more on that front. But, you know, you give it five, seven years or so and you find yourself knowing quite a lot about quite a lot of things.
0: Tell us how and when you bought your first cryptos were all your buys through a centralized exchange and did you trade crypto or you mostly buy and hold and what types of coins did you buy
2: so i i started to get into crypto in 2016 and then i think january 2017 it was or something like that um i went to uh consensus the consensus event in new york which is or at least was the largest like crypto event, definitely more on the business side and the financial side. And so, and at the time, this is like the beginning of like, like the 2017 bull market. Everybody are super excited. And I'm walking in there. I actually pinged the organizers, which is kind of like, it's a CoinDesk event. So I pinged them said, like, I'm a poor PhD student. Like, I would love to come. This, this is my research, whatnot. So they gave me free tickets and kind of like allowed me in. They were super nice about it. But I, I remember that feeling of walking into the, 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 the large venue there. So kind of like the main event. And everybody are excited and the price of ETH and of And kind of everybody here are rich except for me. Like this is like, like I the, I missed the boat. I'm too late. Everybody here already bought it. And now it's like they bought it at like $10. Now it's like thousand dollars <laughs> or whatnot. Everybody here are rich except for me. And it's funny, right? You think about like, well, if you came in 27 are so OG whatnot, I'm like this is many years ago. Um, so at that day, I kind of signed up for the first time, like moved from the theory to the practical. I went to Coinbase, I created an account and I bought, um, um, I, at, at the time, so I bought Bitcoin, I bought Ethereum, I bought probably XRP, which is now, I think, already agreed to be a security or something like that, and isn't important in any way at this point. Um, and then afterwards, being, like, <laughs> being new to the thing, of course, then I did some trading and whatnot, I lost, it, I would have made a lot more money if I didn't trade. Okay, so like, like but, probably falling for all the mistakes that every new trader kind of like falls into and i think especially my revelation was years afterwards was if you don't have a lot of capital then you keep that like, oh it goes up like, like you try to capture a bit and then you lose it and you actually end up losing all your money that way if you have a lot of capital you're kind of like well i'm going to put this money here and i'm not going to touch it then like you know so, well it went up a lot do i feel like that it's the end of the bull market well maybe we I'll sell this percent or that percent. Mm-hmm. So moving to much longer time scales and not getting like so frantic about, oh, I'm losing that money. And it really shows you how having more capital, even without additional expertise, which you get the, just having more capital and not have to worry whether you're losing it or not, makes you, I don't know, 10 times better trader. So luckily for me, I was a terrible trader, but I was early enough and kind of like, okay, enough in the know, etc. And a lot of conviction in crypto and in DeFi. So when Ethereum was, I think, like eighty dollars, right, or something like that, in the I said, like, like I don't know what's going on. I don't have that much money, but I'm definitely buying it, like right now, under hundred, and right, and it went up to I think it peaked at four thousand eight hundred. And again, I'm not the greatest trader. I'm the tech guy who helps traders. So I mm-hmm. sold along the way. So sold it at like 400 and at 800 and at $6,900 and at 3000 3, and at $4,800. 4, so I actually sold at the top, but I also <laughs> sold in many, many times like along the way.
0: Mm, great. Uh, how and when did you discover decentralized finance, which is what we call DeFi? And yeah, what was so- your first experience with it?
2: So DeFi really, really boomed in the summer of 2020. Okay. This is like the DeFi summer. And what happened there was kind of like there was all there were already primitives for DeFi for decentralized finance prior to it. I think the major one, ETH Delta, was basically an order book exchange on the Ethereum network. And that was, I think, 2017, maybe 2016 even. But that was basically, well, you know, people put like, like ask and bids and whatnot. And every time you do that, you need to make a transaction on chain. And that actually doesn't work. OK, so, so we can talk about blockchains a bit and how they work, but making transactions is costly. So you can't just like, you know, send them, cancel them, send them, cancel And there are only so many transactions being executed. More so now, less so then. So let's say 10 transactions per second or something like that. So you can could, you could definitely understand that for an open global financial system, this is not going to be enough. And so in the summer of 2020, people realized, or let, let's talk about this for a second. Okay. Um, in 2019, the DeFi annual volume was like $100 million or something like that. Mm-hmm. And in 2021, it was already a trillion. Annual trillion dollar annual volume. So like there was like a ten thousand x x like like growth sprout right there, which stemmed from really finding product market fit. Okay, basically saying, oh, this primitive which we took from what we call CFI centralized finance or tradfi traditional finance. Let's take this primitive and let's see how it fits in the DeFi setup. Okay, how does it work? on-chain or pieces of it on-chain. So putting an order book on-chain, on Ethereum, doesn't work. But what does work? What does work is saying something that we call AMM, automatic market maker. Basically, the idea that people pool liquidity. Okay, you put one asset and you pull another asset on the other side. And basically, their ratio defines the price and you can buy one in exchange for the other, but you'd pay some fee depending on how much you buy. And there's like a, a slippage curvature. So if you buy a lot, you actually affect the price more and more. And that turns out to be that you don't need to actually make, put bid, like you don't need to, to be making and taking and, and, and kind of like putting bids and assets and putting the order book on chain. And instead you have a new primitive where you kind of like interact with a smart contract. Okay, we can talk about what exactly is a smart contract, but so DeFi summer really happened boom in like the summer of 2020. And for us as a company that does networking, okay? So our blocks route as a company, what we do is that we allow people to see transaction fast, to send transaction fast, to see blocks. And we had all sorts of ideas why this is useful. And can like allow for scalability, right? We just said like 10 transactions per second is, isn't going to cut it. But when the DeFi summer happened, we had like an oh crap moment. Okay, pardon my language. It's kind of like, like We allow people to see transactions faster and so they can identify and blocks faster, they can identify opportunities faster, and we allow them to execute faster to send their transaction to happen. So we allow people make better trades, okay? We're kind of like flash boys for DeFi, okay? We connect you with the rest of the network. You hear about critical information faster. You send your transaction faster. And at that moment, you're like, oh, wait, this is our product market fit. And that drove me really into the DeFi world, right? So we were kind of like playing with all sorts of stuff around blockchain and how playing with the network underneath the blockchain helps. But really that realization, People are going are paying us quite a lot of money to get an advantage in trading. and again, trading turned out from being a niche to a trillion dollar per year. okay, like that's becoming some serious money.
0: I'm curious. why would anyone familiar with the stock market or any other types of well-established traditional investments? Ever wanna get involved in crypto or defi? I mean, I've I've heard many of our trusted elected officials and CEOs of banks say that mostly criminals use crypto and that cryptos are far too volatile and soon will become worthless. What possibly can defi offer us that doesn't already exist with our banks and stock exchanges?
2: So, hey, that's an excellent question and we should we should talk about it. I'll start by making a note that the currency that is actually really being used for criminals and money laundering and terrorism, etc., is the U.S. dollars cash. Okay, that's the one thing. That's like ninety-eight percent of these activities are used with U.S. dollars cash. And nobody says like let's ban cash because we want cash. It's very useful and valuable. And so, actually, the percent of activities that are related to criminal and whatever, etc., out of crypto is actually very very small. And you could think that the gatekeepers of the existing system are looking at what we're doing and say, like, no, no, this is a terrible idea, right? It's kind of like this car thing, like a, a, a carriage without a horse. It's like, who needs that? It hardly moves anyway, and it can't get you any more than a day's ride, right? It's kind of like the fact they're against it, or some of them are, like, like who was it? Um, what's the name? Damien from, he's no longer the CEO. Uh, was it Chase? Uh,
0: like, there's one, the,
2: J.P. Morgan. Uh, yeah, uh, J.P. I, but I think he's no longer. But Jamie like, Dimon, oh,
0: I think you're saying yeah, Jamie uh, Dimon. Yes,
2: that, that's who I mean. So he was kind of like, oh, this is a scam, nobody's going to do it, et cetera, and then allowing their customers afterwards, actually while making these statements to allow them like exposure to that. So let's take that with a grain of salt. But the real question you're asking is actually a good question. What, like we have banks, right? Like why? We, and we, we have credit cards. Why, and, and we have stock exchange why the hell do we need a decentralized finance thing, which is almost by definition less efficient, okay? Like we'll do our best to make it as efficient, like that's as good as we're going to get. And the answer to that is starting with a bit of an analogy, DeFi is open in the same sense that the internet is open, okay? It's always on, Anybody could participate. Anybody could start a project or start an idea or start a product. Anybody could interact with that, right? So it's kind of like if you're a small shop owner, you can only reach the people around you, like in your small town, in wherever. But if you have an online shop, all of a sudden that is literally available for everybody out there in the world. If you build like something really, really good that people really like, then you'll find yourself like they don't know how big or small you are and the exciting thing about the defi is being a single global open financial system for the world okay it's open 24/7 365 it's not closed on the weekends or you know US holidays and if you want to send you know i, I as i said earlier i moved from israel to, to the US. And when, when we moved here, I knew I'm going to stay here to do a PhD. So we actually bought a condo here because it was more economic. And I took my savings from Israel, and then I moved them here. And then taking the Israeli shekel and converting it to US dollars, okay, that's like 1% like commission just on that, then wiring it to a US bank, and that's another commission. And it takes like five days, and the money didn't make it in time. And then no, then it didn't come. And then turns out the bank is trying to send me letters, like snail mail letters. Oh, what is this money you want to transfer? And I already signed a deal here and I need that money transferred already. Otherwise I'm losing my deposit or, or um, honesty, honesty or whatever it's called, like the the, the the right term for that. And so if you think the current financial system is actually sufficient. It means you never had to send money abroad. If you have relatives abroad, if, and if you wanted to send to transfer money for them, or if you want to move large sums of money, if you're using like um, um, ACH or Swift, etc., what you're actually doing is kind of like I want to send money that way, like to that bank, and then it hops along banks. Sometimes it get lost. Okay, it's kind of it's like we send it. It's somewhere. We're not sure where it landed, and it's kind of guys, this is electro. like, are you in 2022 where I can tweet something and it goes literally to the rest of the world immediately? So mm-hmm. it's kind of, like it's uh, systems built in the seventies with, with needs of the seventies really aren't what we have now.
1: Are you a developing or seasoned day trader who trades the U S markets? Is the only thing stopping you from getting to the next level is having enough capital to trade? Once you pass the evaluation, you get funded and trade with their pool of money and split the profits. Don't let the lack of buying power, capital, or fear of losing your own money prevent you from taking your trading to the next level. Visit tradethepool.com chat to learn more.
0: At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best it's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder.
1: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
2: It's similar to saying, well, we don't really need Amazon, right? What's the difference between Amazon and, you know, just call your supermarket and ask for the stuff you want and they'll arrange it and you can come pick it up. It's basically the same. And the answer is, this is nowhere the same. And I can give you an example, you know, our own example, we are a company, we raised multiple funding rounds. And basically oral invested, like, can I not wire you the money and go physically to the? Can I send you USDC? Okay. So that's like, like US dollars on Ethereum. Can I just wire you? Yes. Okay. I sent you a dollar. Did you get it? You know, just to make sure it works like properly and nobody, yes, got it. Okay. Just sent. Thanks. This is done within like a minute rather than, you know, Okay, the the CFO of the hedge fund needs to create like an order. That it, this is a lot of friction that goes away. And I'm not even talking about, you know, credit card companies taking like 2 3% out of like every transaction happening around the world. I'm not talking even about that fragmenting the market. Okay, so like why does, like if you're in the UK, you can probably participate through an intermediary, right? In the UK stock market, etc. Right. So you like if you're if you're in London, it's not like being in Chicago, which is not like being in Amsterdam or Hong Kong or Shanghai, etc. And the world is fragmented around these points, right? About around these centers of financial activity. And there isn't any reason to fragment the market. There, there shouldn't be like well, the market is closing on the market like in Australia right now. So the prices just went down a bit, but within three hours, it's going to open up. I don't know, somewhere in the middle of Asia. So we're going to like, like all this stuff shouldn't exist in 2022. Okay. Like, like, so this is my, my, my sorry, somewhat emotional answer. DeFi, people talk about DeFi and, oh, you could buy coins and they'll go up by so much. And here's an opportunity. That's like one. And it's true, but that's not it. And it's it's mostly a byproduct of people getting excited about DeFi and then kind of like building stuff. And some of it makes sense, some doesn't make sense. And some would say, well, you know, if you're trading, if you're day trading, and this is where this might be, become very interesting to, you know, our listeners right now. If you're day trading and, you know, the regular... This has become so competitive. You're competing with the best algorithms around the world, and like shops that do just that, and they have better networking connectivity than you, and they're going to beat you basically every time. And and so so you should think about DeFi because it's a greenfield. And again, it's true too. But that's not the point. The point is that DeFi is an open global financial system that a lot of people. See some of them very small, some of them very, very big entities, okay, are saying, oh, this is super interesting. This is useful for us. And this is the thing that, which is why people should pay attention to DeFi, okay?
0: Many people would say, okay, great. When I need to send money or receive money, um, I'll just use DeFi, use the sphere." But I'm an investor I rarely need to send money, uh, but I do want places to invest my money. I want I don't want to just speculate on some, some Doge coin or some other coin I've never heard of. I want to actually generate income opportunities. You know, I'm tired of getting one percent from my bank, and and uh, many stocks don't pay that high in dividends these days. So, are there any income opportunities through DeFi?
2: So, so the, 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 that's an excellent point. So, first of all, I am very much against Dogecoin and this coin. And that the, this is the thing that hurts crypto and hurts DeFi. Okay, so it's kind of like somebody makes up an idea, everybody agrees it's a terrible idea, but you know, there's like like, like a, a, a musical chairs game kind of like going on. Oh, but you buy it's stupid. It doesn't work at all. Blah, 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 but you know, but it goes 10x. So you didn't buy it. Are you stupid or are you smart? Okay, and this is like this happens every bull cycle. So basically, everybody and said, you buy it and it works all the way until the point it doesn't, right? And then some people, which is usually retail and not like the investors who got in really early on at much better prices and made like their 100X, et cetera. So I totally agree with that. Now, in order to answer your question about, okay, I'm an investor, what do I actually do? How do I participate in this? And there are really cool cool primitives basically provide liquidity, okay? Like one of the things that helped DeFi boost is the idea that you can provide liquidity. That liquidity pay other like allows for product to work and you get fees for that. Okay, so we'll we'll kind of like unpack this in a second. But before we do that, I want to unpack a bit what happened when we moved from C to DeFi. Okay, it's kind of like okay, so okay, C centralized finance, DeFi design. What does it actually mean, DeFi? Okay, and it has three main components, okay? Which is kind of like what happens when you take ideas from tradfi and cfi and move them into DeFi. And the first one is that in DeFi, you, we took of like the idea of like matching engines and back office and some central entity does, whether that's the matching, et cetera. And instead you have smart contracts on chain. Okay, what does that mean? Let's unpack that. Smart contracts are anything but smart. Okay, smart contract is a really bad name. Smart contract just means it's a program, okay, it's a computer program that runs on the blockchain, which means nobody, no single entity controls it. Okay, so let's think about something very, very um, um, simple. There, Let's say there is a program and it counts, okay, so it started zero. And every time there is a new block added to the blockchain, new transaction being executed, it increases by one. And so that it's autonomous in the idea that everybody are running nodes in the blockchain, et cetera, and everybody are running it. And if you run your own node participating in the blockchain, and you said, oh, let's change it. It's supposed to move from two to three. I can change it from two to seven, right? You could, but you'll only change it locally on your computer. You can't go to the rest of the network and change how they're running the program. So it's as if everybody are running the same program and therefore everybody gets the same result and you could run something else, but then you're just like everybody else are doing one thing and you live in your own tiny world and nobody cares like, oh, you made a million dollar, right? You just added money to yourself, but yes, only in your world. Nobody else accepts, it's not in the consensus. So this is kind of like the idea of blockchain to the smart contract. So instead of matching engines, cetera, people work with these smart contracts. So if we said earlier uh, Uniswap, I think it's the largest decentralized exchange. It's the, I think the best example. It's that AMM thing that we mentioned earlier. Okay. So basically, let's say the price of ETH is thousand dollars. It's not, but it's easier to kind of. Like, and there there is liquidity there. Okay. So there are a thousand ETH. And a million dollars. And that's of the current market. Now, you think this is too low. The, like, it should be higher than that, okay? So, you interact. You go to the Uniswap smart contract and you say, I would like to buy $100 worth of Ethereum. So, you increase the amount of U.S. dollars there, USDC, and the, you get back some amount of ETH, and the price is kind of like based on this new ratio between them. But the point I'm trying to make here, no single entity has control over it. This is like a program that does it, but that's being run by everyone. No single entity can control it and push it in one way or another. So when you take stuff or primitives or ideas or concepts from CFI to DeFi, that's the first change that happened. The second chain that happened is that you no longer have order flows and price feeds coming from that centralized point. Instead, you have a network, right? So if I want to make, you know, buy Ethereum, buy ETH, as I mentioned, I create a transaction and say, "Well, oh, here's I want here. I have hundred dollars. I want to speak with this smart contract and make that action, and I signed it, and it just kind of propagate through the network, and then after a while, some validator or miner creates a new block. And then we say it executed, it was added to the chain. Okay. So instead of order flows and price feeds, you have transactions propagating around and blocks propagating around. So that's the second component, which is different as we move. And the third one, and the most critical from, from my perspective, is that we just moved from a point to point model to a peer to peer model. So if you're a competitive market maker or a trader, then in traditional finance, you need to be connected or lo- co-located with um, Chicago, New York, London, Amsterdam, Japan, Hong Kong, Shanghai, blanking or three others. But basically, the major exchanges around the world, this is who you need to speak with. And in the DeFi setup, you need to be connected with the entire network. Okay, if you want to be competitive, critical information could come from anywhere, right? So a transaction coming from this direction, you want to see somebody is selling ETH, somebody is buying ETH, somebody got liquidated, somebody put a new position, etc. So all this is happening. And for you to be a competitive actor, you need to see all these. And this is kind of like the framing of DeFi. This is how you move from CeFi to DeFi. These are the changes. Now going back to your question, well, I'm not, if if I'm, and again, me personally, I'm not a a trader. Like I trade a bit, etc. but I'm, (laughs) you know, if, if, if big trading firms has like the traders and they have the tech guys supporting them, it's kind of like, oh, let me build you this tool and that tool. I'm that guy. Okay. I'm the tech guy who can help. And so when I participate in DeFi, a lot of the time i I run a company, I have really better stuff to do, which is more valuable for me and the world than being the trader. I'm not actually that good at it. So like like let somebody who's, this is what he does, do that. But it does open at least a few interesting opportunities. One of them is, as we mentioned, so we're calling it LP, liquidity providing. Okay, Basically, when there's a trade happening on uh, Uniswap, then you give some whatever, whichever pair you're working on, but like you give some ETH, you get USD, you give USD, you get some ETH. But a portion of that, and it depends on the market, it could be like, like 0.3%, it could be like, like a BIP, it could be um, 10 pips, so kind of like, like depending on, on, on the specifics. But basically that goes to the liquidity providers mathematically speaking it's like put it's like a put option okay that like it's exactly that basically you're willing to be the one somebody wants to sell the asset and you're saying like i'm willing to buy it okay so, like like at this price
1: mm-hmm.
2: and so so you could strategize around if 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 you know puts then like you could strategize around that and basically you could be active around it or you could be passive around it you could say oh i'm providing liquidity but just in this range, okay? So it's kind of like, if I think all the activity is going to be between $1,500 and $1,600 in the upcoming week, I'm putting the, my liquidity just there, basically making it more efficient there. Um, but if, if, if it goes outside the range, you won't be making fees, et cetera. So that's one thing. Another thing, other protocols, okay? Like lending and borrowing, okay? So credit. Um, which is something a lot of people are excited about. Again, being less of a trader, then it's kind of like less of uh, less of my go-to option. But basically, you could come and say, "Well, I have ETH, but what if I want to long ETH? Okay, can I lend my ETH and borrow USD for it? So it kind of puts me in a position, and then use this position." And let's say by there's something called squiff, squared ETH. So basically the idea is like, 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 like its value is the it, it, it's it's a way to be long to like to the to, to exponentially. So you could buy squiff and you constantly pay a stream to those who are shorting it on the other side. But if you're long ETH for the short period of time, then that's kind of like allows you to get exposure. And so so that's kind of like, in, there are leveraged options, but usually it's about like everything's collateralized and over collateralized in, in the DeFi setup. So that's another thing. And you could do like even fancier things like take ETH, take Squith, right? Squared ETH, create a market. Okay, so provide liquidity of ETH and Squith. And then you're basically long ETH one point, like to the power of 1.5. So it's kind of like in between them. So you could do like, like fancy things around that. Mm-hmm. Um I was ac- th- does that make sense up
0: and yes, yes. So I, I had a question. uh so I'm on the uniswap.org site and I'm mm-hmm. looking at this section in here called pools. And uh so I see some of these combinations that you talk about about being a liquidity provider, and I just look at some of the, the big pools and I see, for example, uh USDC slash ETH. Uh, have you have you uh, ever done any liquidity mining, um, say on Uniswap? And if so, what were kind of the range of yields that you saw? So, so a, a
2: yes, I did that, and I would also say more than that anybody who said like, oh, well, crypto seems to be interesting, or it's kind of like DeFi seems to be interesting. My and and I tell this to all our employees, and we're actually going to kind of like sponsor it internally. But anybody out there. Take $1,000, okay? consider it tuition, Okay, use that, add it to Coinbase, download a MetaMask, try to send it to yourself, figure out you need ETH in order to send stuff, so you pay for fees, Okay, so send money from yourself to yourself, understand that that costs you like $2, so making transaction, or maybe less, right now it's actually less, so it's like 20 cents, whatever, but basically understanding that execution is actually costly in blockchains and crypto in DeFi. And when you're touching the more complicated um, products, so like Uniswap, et cetera, fees are actually substantial. Okay. So you could pay, be paying like $20 to get into position, etc. So you're actually going to do a lot less movement because it doesn't, unless you have a lot of capital. If you have a lot of capital, then then it's a no-brainer. You kind of like like yes it costs money but not not compared to how much you're you're kind of like putting like in line there. If you If, you know, you're a normal person and getting into that, they kind of like, wait, hold on. I don't like, you know, burning $20 every time I get into position and out of position. Like this game is different. The way it works in Uniswap, like right now we're at Uniswap V3, okay, which is where you can do what I said earlier. You can decide in which range you want to be. You could also do like, well, you can cover the entire range. But basically it only makes sense to do LPing between two assets that you think are going to kind of like play against one another. Sometimes one will go up and the other will go down, and vice versa, etc. But they're going to be somewhat correlated between them, and you're going to be making money out of fees there. If they're not correlated and one go up and one stays the same, or one stays the same and one goes down, you know, long-term, basically you're going to end up holding all the bad assets and it, like continuously selling them you know, selling your good assets for your bad assets. Okay. So it's kind of like you have to understand how, if you're in a position, right. And you kind of like, you're providing liquidity between the price of a thousand and two thousand. if the price goes be like, you're kind of like selling all your ETH all the way to a thousand dollars. And if the price goes below that, sorry, if the price- you're going to hold on only to your ETH, right. It's kind of like, you're, you're putting it between a thousand. Say you sell them at 2000, you sell them at um, um, 1900, et cetera, et etc. You end up, when you go outside of the position at the lower end, you end up holding the bad asset, right? It's kind of ETH went down really, really, really badly and you're holding that and you gave away all your US dollars. And if it goes up, you kind of, like, you sold all your ETH for the US dollars and you got you end up holding all the US dollars, but you're out of ETH, right? So it's kind of like, you have to keep that in mind. So you want to be mindful of cycles and what the current market looks like. Is it like crab-like? Is it like it, and this is where me as as somebody who's not an active trader, then I am much more like I take multiple assets which I'm bullish upon on anyway, and so like well I think these two assets are both going to do really good. I'm not sure which one is better, and I could extend the value I'm getting, or kind of like 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 I could be making more by also providing liquidity for that, and then it gets even funnier than that in Ethereum. Literally next week, we move, so I don't know when this is going to be broadcast, but as of like like September, somewhere between September 13th and September 15th, there's going to be a major event called The Merge. Okay, basically Ethereum moving to a proof of stake system.
0: What's so your views about- on that? Yeah, what, what are, what are your excellent. views on that? Okay, it's, so you it's support excellent, it.
2: excellent, it. it's fantastic, and it means, it's actually worth the, the digging into just because it's awesome, and I think people would kind of like, like really... It sounds complicated. It isn't. So we can kind of like maybe, maybe simplify it in a second. But what happens in the merge is that instead of miners wasting electricity competing to mine the next block and add another block to the blockchain, and this is a major concern and a major criticism of crypto and blockchains, well, you're burning all this money just trying to make the next block to get a reward. And this is just like really bad for the environment. In proof of stake, you throw this competition away, and basically it becomes to being: is it my turn to add a block? Is it your turn to add a block? Like it, it becomes like a predetermined order. Each one depending depending on how much stake, okay, how much stake ETH they have, they're going they're going to 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 be adding blocks and be rewarded for it. So staking ETH basically, if you have ETH, great, okay, you're long ETH, you have it, okay you could stake ETH basically getting something like 4% APY, but you're saying like, okay, I'm going to support the network. Basically, the, re, the the idea is that people would add blocks and they want to do anything nasty because if they do nasty things, they get slashed. It hurts their stake. So it's kind of like, well, if I have a billion dollars of ETH there, I'm not going to you know create two blocks at the same time or try to create a, an invalid block which again, it doesn't break the system, but it hurts the system. And so if you long ETH, you could buy ETH or you could stake ETH or stake ETH with a company like Lido, not company, a project like Lido. Okay, Lido, basically they would stake it for you. They would give you a token, staked ETH. Okay, so basically you get that, but the same way that you provide liquidity using ETH, take this yielding like asset and use that to provide liquidity. So you can, like the cool, we call it like playing with like the, the DeFi Lego pieces. Okay, so it's kind of like, okay, I have ETH, I stake it. I actually stake it with somebody who gives me a token in, in exchange of it. So I still hold it. I could go afterwards and kind of like, um, um, I'm blanking on the term, um, you know give it back to kind of like get my, whatever I stake there um, and more, right? With a 4% APY on top of that. But getting this token back allows me to do other stuff in DeFi. So it reduces the opportunity cost, right? It's not, it doesn't mean you could take that and now go to the lending and borrowing, like go to maker, okay, or compound, okay, like to borrow. lend that, and let's say like put it there and get, or or maybe borrow USDC dollars and, Put it like keep it as a collateral there. So now you actually have back all your USD dollars. You could you could do whatever you wanted to do with them. But now also getting the four percent APY. Now you could take that by squared ether. This is where it gets complicated in terms of not technically complicated, but look, okay, how do you build a good strategy around that? But this is where DeFi gets exciting. Okay? This is the kind of stuff you can't do. In centralized, so you can oh, I'm going to make up here. I have an idea. Let's take the state Eve and make a token around it, and you know, just plug it into the the rest of the financial system. You can't do it in the centralized system. Like, what, what are you even talking about? And this is where DeFi gets super excited. How can we combine the different Lego pieces and build more and more complex stuff?
1: Excuse the last interruption here. This is Tessa. We hope you're enjoying this episode so far. If you love the podcast, please give Chat with Traders the best review you can on whatever platform you're listening from. This will help us to keep the episodes coming. Also, if you haven't subscribed to our email list, please hop on to chatwithtraders.com and click on subscribe so we can keep you posted of information that may be of importance. Thank you. Now back to the chat with our guest.
0: So, uh, many investors will want to know, can I make more than what I'm making from my bank deposits through being a liquidity provider? And am I only going to, am I going to have to go through all this work and and still only collect one, two, or maybe 3% annualized on my returns? Or is the possibilities much greater than that?
2: So from the get go, staking ETH gives you 4% APY. More than that, but it gives you exposure to ETH. Now, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Go hedge it with like, like, take that ETH and like, you know, like this. I I honestly like hedging isn't my thing either. Again, I'm the technical guy, but out of the get go, you can get 4% APY, but it does give you exposure. Maybe you're happy about this exposure and maybe you're unhappy about that. Okay. Because ETH went down from $70 to almost $5,000. Went back like to seven, maybe eight hundred, eight fifty hundred dollars. So this is a very volatile market. I am very, very bullish and very, very long ETH long term. But this is crypto. It has cycles. There's bull market, and I have, I have no idea if within a month it's going to be higher or lower. I am very. Maybe I'm wrong, but I'm confident, and I'm betting that ETH is going to be higher three years from now. Okay, so I'm very bullish. I'm very I'm very excited about that. Not a financial advice. You should do your own homework. Like, like what do I know? But that's my perspective. But if you're an investor and you're an actor, I don't know if you're happy or unhappy about it, but you could either hedge against this exposure or you could extrapolate it, right? You could like say, oh, I want to be even longer ETH. So I'm going to take all that and go kind of like, okay, squared ETH, because I think short-term it would go up. I don't know. That's kind of like, and this is where the merge comes in and less like sell pressure and whatnot. I was a PhD student. I wasn't really never into Robinhood and day trading. Like I knew it existed, like not really excited about it. And if I invest in, and I got excited about leaving, and and said, oh, wait, you could do this. And you could do, and hey, what if you do, you combine them this way and that way. So I, I very much encourage. And again, take a thousand dollars, consider it tuition and go play with it. Okay, it's frightening. It's like, oh, what do I mess it up? consider this money lost okay if you end up with that money back or more than that like like, like it's it's just like winning the lot consider it lost and then use it go download metamask try to move it you know move it to a different chain move it to polygon then move it back understand what that means stake it provide liquidity you know lping take it back understand what are the costs for that um look into nfts and what do they mean fractionalize nfts and that's an entire domain we 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 could you could consider but Actually, do it, and that puts you in the ninety-eighth percentile. Okay, that like it puts you ahead of basically the rest of the
0: world. Great. Uh, I'd like to turn the discussion to regulation. Do you think some type of government regulation is needed over cryptos, DeFi, or stablecoins? And if so, what type and why?
2: Well, it's a good question. You know, I'm. Um, I'm very deep and in the know about crypto as a participant, but I am in no way a lawyer, nor an expert on policy, nor any of the likes. Okay, so I can give my own opinion, but you should take it with a grain of salt. Okay, and if you want, if you happen to live in the Bay Area or something like that, then you find like you literally meet founders wherever you go, like when you go to Starbucks or wherever, and somebody tells you a really cool idea. You can't participate because you're not an accredited investor. You're probably not an accredited investor. So this is an entire world which is close to you. There are great opportunities as, as somebody who spoke with every single major VC, early stage, mid stage like so C pre seed seed A group B growth, and after that, anywhere from Sequoia to Softbank, who led our la- latest round to Tiger, like basically. There are all these deals. This is where the real opportunities are. And to make us all safe, the SEC prevents you, me, and the like, normal people from participating in them. Okay, You won't get to play in this game. And as somebody who's a founder, and kind of, I, I was never planning to be a founder. Okay, I'm a tech guy. I'm a nerd. I'm a really nice guy. I'm, I'm not with it. The entrepreneurs are the douches, right? I don't want to be even in that group. No, no, I'm a nerdy geek. I, I, I stick with the rest of the software engineers. So once I got into this, I kind of like, this is where the real activity is, okay? Being able to participate in companies early on and investing, so you, like this is the real opportunities and they're close to you. And I think there were probably, you know what? It goes back to the question of DeFi and is it like, is it useful? at all, we already have centralized exchanges. Like maybe in the 70s, when you couldn't look up people and projects and companies and see their financials and look into everything about them and what they do and et cetera, then maybe it made sense. You don't want to allow people to invest in other people. Maybe these companies don't exist, et cetera, because the SEC filing provided something that other people didn't have this is 2022. And if I want to look up people and companies and what they do and partnership, I can get a lot more data than the tiny bit of information that's on the SEC filing. Okay. So from my perspective, this is a protection, which its damage is much greater than it's good. Okay. So, and again, that's the, it's going to allow people to invest. And if they get screwed over, they get screwed over. They shouldn't invest. Okay, this is, but on the flip side, this is exactly where Dogecoin and the rest of them are really hurting. It's kind of no, Or it's a casino. If you know it's a casino, you can go and play. Take your money and say, like, I'm willing to bet. There is a chance to get 10x knowing I could lose my pants on this. And if you want to play, go play. And if you don't want to play, don't play. But to know that that is a game. Don't pretend this is a different game. But on the other hand, it, again, it really prevents people from participating. And this is where DeFi is, is, is exciting. You want... You have no idea what ETH is, but you heard this podcast and you kind of like start your Oh I can send I can send money like I can send to my friend on the other side of the world money right now like like without I don't need to ask anybody like the same if I send it it's there it's kind of like without even thinking nobody can control it. It's like this is valuable. Then you start down the rabbit hole and say oh well ETH is interesting DeFi is in Oh here's Uniswap. Oh Unitoken doesn't have so Uniswap has a token it doesn't get any percent of the fees, which are quite significant, okay, like, like Uniswap is big, but I think everybody are betting on it because I think it has a good chance of turning the fees on. And you could decide, do you want to participate? Do you, like, are you betting that it will be turned on? Or you say like, oh, it would never be turned on in Uniswap. So do your own homework, figure it out, decide and participate. I think regulation hurts a lot. That's my you know, personal feelings. Does that make sense?
0: Yes. Yes, it does. Um, What opportunities, uh, if any, do you see with the Ethereum competitors like Solana, Avalanche, and others? Um, Do you think Ethereum will likely dominate DeFi for years to come?
2: It's hard to say. We're definitely seeing. So there are a few things. Let's unpack that. People betting on these chains say, well, this is like Ethereum and it's just as good and it has a chance. So if it has, you know, 1% chance of competing with it and and beating it out of the market, we're still so early, then it's kind of like, it makes sense, then it should be valued this and that. That being said, we've seen, we call them Ethereum killers, EKs, right? And like, Mm -hmm. we see them come and go and most of them don't leave a mark. Some of them are kind of like, whatever. I think the worst example, um, EOS, okay? Like EOS is kind of like, the oh, and it's terrible. It doesn't work, like uh, technically incompetent and whatnot, et cetera. Like Ethereum has a lot going for it in terms of community, people actually using it, people actually getting excited about it, building the right tooling for it. So it's much easier to participate in it. And basically all these other chains Try to connect to Ethereum because that's the this is where the activity is happening and they're trying to compete. But you know, BSC is on the Asian side. BSC is the Binance Smart uh, Contract uh, Chain or Smart Chain, um, and it's actually quite big and getting quite a lot of traction. Um, Solana I'm actually bullish on, um, um, but but again, so so there's there are people betting on it. You know, I'll buy the token. The token would go up just like Ethereum. So like that's one angle. I can't even comment on it. I have no idea. I don't know that how that's going to play out. We're definitely seeing actors working on these other chains. I, I personally, or we as a company, are actually working quite hard on Solana and onboarding really big users and really big traders to utilize the significant trading capabilities happening there. If we talked about um, ETH Delta at the beginning, like order book on chain, which doesn't work on Ethereum, it does work on Solana, okay? So it's called Serum, okay? So there is literally an order book on there. So if we, we provide an API that anybody could utilize to trade on top of that. So it's kind of like, if you're familiar with an exchange API, here's an API that gets you there, okay? So like, like allows you to trade on top of that. And it is a viable solution on top of Solana. Now, how is this going to play out? I have no idea. I, I my bet would be that ethereum is going to be significant and dominant potentially the most like most significant like chain going forward for the foreseeable future but two three caveats for that one is that it doesn't mean it doesn't happen elsewhere too okay so it's kind of like you have pieces that or What Ethereum got is composability. So you can play with one piece and, you know, take this and use this token to land there and then take that. And if you can connect with that, actually, you can get a lot of activity going into you. That's one. Second, I mentioned earlier about Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash and and kind of like like a bit of the history. So Bitcoin of like say, like, we're going to be gold. And Ethereum jumped in and filled the gap of functionality. But there might be additional. Fun- so beyond the DeFi functionality and gold, is there a third functionality which currently nobody's catering? And if so, and whether that's like, you know, assets, gaming, on chain, like I get like, like metaverse, you name it, et cetera. So are there pieces out there that cannot be achieved with Bitcoin as gold and Ethereum as a like functional um, um, piece? I don't know. I didn't think about all the stuff you could imagine potentially do. So there's definitely an opportunity. One potential comes down a bit to your regulatory question. it's it's about privacy. so and and maybe that's worth tackling and kind of like even digging a bit deeper. The US dollar cash is valuable. So the fact that people use it to launder money and, you know, do all sorts of stuff is kind of like, yes, there are bad stuff with it, but like, it's worth it, right? And we have cars and people die in car accidents. are like, okay, but it's very functional and we use it. So it's kind of like the good is kind of like bigger than um, the cons or the negative externalities. And then you say, well, but privacy, what? Only if you're a con man or, or a scammer or, or something like that, or a terrorist or a money launderer or, or whatever, you want privacy. Everybody else should be just fine with everybody looking over their, their shoulder and seeing what's in there. And I encourage people to rethink that and say, like, maybe maybe you donated to Planned Parenthood. Okay okay or something like that which is something which is very controversial or you're in the 60s and 70s and you're contributing time effort or or even you have business with activists whether that's about like race equality whether that's like feminism and civil rights maybe or or a completely different angle maybe you're participating and you have trades with Ukraine, you're in russia and you have trades or activity and you're supporting ukraine on the other side or vice versa i'm pro-ukraine in this situation but like maybe you're doing something that wherever you are maybe currently it's not okay or maybe it's okay right now but within five years it won't be okay and so maybe you want your privacy maybe you don't want the administrator right or the the government and I'm I'm anything but an extremist on this, okay? I'm not a libertarian, which is like, no, we should have no, I'm not that. But that being said, I should have my, pri- that, that is actually important. It's important for civil rights to have privacy. I should be able, right, maybe you're gay and all of a sudden, you know, like 15 years from now, we're like super conservative, like um, legislation or something like that. Can you get married? Can't you get married? So like I'm it in not uh, also guns, okay? Like like I intentionally pointing out all the questions that people have really strong opinions one way or the other. And say, like, do you want to be discriminated because of your opinion? Whether they're we should have guns or nobody should have guns. I don't even know what's the right opinion there. But your personal opinions are yours. You should be able to act on them and whether that's donating or participating or whatever you want to do and not to be thrown outside of your bank. Oh, no, we're not. <laughs> you're banned from here. OK, you're not allowed. You're, we just freeze your assets, etc. So privacy, from my perspective, is important. Yes, it also allows for con man and scammers and whatnot to get away. But, 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 but it's worth it, from my perspective.
0: Right. Well, I want to thank you very much Yuri for coming on the uh, the show here uh, and sharing your views. Uh how can our listeners get in touch with you?
2: So, everybody everything crypto and defi is happening on Twitter basically. Okay? So, look up Blocksroute, B L O X R U R O U T E, or Uri Klarman, or just one Uri Klarman in the world. Google me find me on Twitter like look it up. It's interesting. And again, it's slightly overwhelming when you get into that, like at the beginning, but like consider yourself, oh, I'm interested. I'm going to actually do it and do it hands-on. And once you do, you're so much ahead of the curve, you don't even know it. Okay, So it's kind of like, it's scary. Am I doing it right? Like, do it. Go. Just go and do it. So find me on Twitter. Feel free to reach out. Also see like, okay, I mean, all sorts of conversations are happening there in the open. Some of them are important. Some of them are just funny and, and, and silly. Um, so I, I'd, I'd send them that way.
0: Great. Fantastic, Yuri. Great to have you on the show. Thank you, Ian. This was super fun. Great. Likewise.
1: Please stay tuned for Ian's special addendum to this interview.
0: Since the interview was done, crypto's second largest coin behind Bitcoin and most important decentralized finance coin, known as Ethereum, successfully transitioned from an energy-intensive proof-of-work system to an energy-efficient proof-of-stake system. All the money that was going to pay for confirming transactions through the vast energy-intensive computer networks will now instead go to those who stake their Ethereum coins on the network. Thus, as of mid-October, The annual yields for staking your Ethereum is expected to increase from the previously mentioned 4% up to 7% or more because stakers will receive money that used to be paid to the miners. As I know, there is a lot of interest in this topic. I am completely open to going more in-depth with the decentralized site that Yuri mentioned in the interview called Uniswap and share some concrete practical ways to generate income things that I am doing for my own investments. As of this recording, current market conditions are giving well into the double-digit percentage yields on the liquidity pools. If you would like to learn how I do this and explore other opportunities in the decentralized world, join me for a live discussion inside the Chat with Traders community, currently targeted for early November. If you haven't been invited to join our new community by email, which is currently invitation only for the initial launch. It's not too late. Go to the chat with traders website and click on the community tab at the top menu to sign up and get an invitation. I look forward to seeing you all there. You've reached the end of this episode of chat with traders, but rest assured there are more episodes loaded with real market insight and zero hype on the way soon.